Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. We started last week talking about this book, this letter of Jude. And we didn't really touch a whole lot on the letter except for who the letter was written to. And I feel like it's very important that we understand when you write a letter, the audience is the first thing you think about. So we need to place ourselves in that audience. And he's writing this letter to very foundational um, Messianic Jews at the time. So we talked about foundation last week, and um, I, think, I hope that gave you guys an opportunity to evaluate your foundation, the, the uh, structure of it, because when you do come across what we're going to read about tonight, without a firm foundation, you will be tossed like you're in the waves or in a windstorm. So... We're going to cover verses 3 through 16 tonight, and Jude is writing a letter to, uh, like we said, a messianic um, congregation where some things came to light, and he's not necessarily attacking the people's actions as he is attacking their lifestyle. Like, he's not... He's not attacking their, uh, what's the word, their uh, theology, like their teachings, but he's attacking their, their lifestyle. And that's how we're going to see, that's going to reveal to us a lot about somebody's faith. Um, James says that, you know, faith without works is dead, so you can really recognize a person's faith by what it produces. So if you're if you're walking in this falsehood, or if you're if you're uh, not walking, if you're perverting what God is, the grace that He's given you, or the license that He's given you, you're perverting that. It's going to be apparent in the lifestyle that you live, in the works, and the fruit that you're bearing. So. Uh, so we're just going to pick this apart. I guess, uh, you know, a couple verses at a time. Alicia and I spent yesterday really digging in, and we, the Lord brought us into, what? There's a microphone right there. I said so much. So, and I just want to remind everybody that, again, the Lord is speaking through Daniel and through the message he wants to share right now for us. Um, for this time, because we can only give what we have received, and we can only give what we have walked out and what we are walking out, um, and what we believe he has for this house right now at this time. So there's so much more that we could reveal in the book of Jude. We don't have time, and we don't feel like he's giving us that to share. But um, yeah, it's amazing, the rabbit trails you can go down. Well, that's all right. Why don't we go ahead and start um, digging right in to the letter of Jude. Um, Alicia, if you want to read 
verses. We'll go ahead and read from 3 to uh, through 7. First, I want to say, Father God, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you that this is worship unto you. And we are so blessed, honored, and humbled to get this opportunity. And this is for you. And so, Holy Spirit, I just, I just ask for you to come. We invite you to be our teacher and our revelation revealer and that you speak to every heart of every person that hears this message, and that you get to pierce what you want them to receive and take from this message, Lord. And we just thank you. We are just humble vessels here to serve, and it's an honor. We love you, and we praise your beautiful, holy name, Jesus, and your beautiful, glorious word, Father God. Amen. Amen. So, hold on, let me, I have it in a, in, in New King James, let me get it to NLT, because I know that's what you're, all right. So, verse 3 through 7, dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. And the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were, were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. And I want to reread verse 3 in New King James version, version, and there's a reason. There's something very profound. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And I you want you guys here. to hold on to that contend so earnestly for the faith. Okay. So to contend for the faith, to contend for the faith is to uh, fight for... Um, Let's see, the word they use is uh, a very long word. I can't pronounce it, but it's the struggle for. The Hebrew word for that is, uh, means to struggle for. Um, so he's urging them. He's, he's saying, you know, contend for the faith. And then he starts talking about who these people that crept in unaware. So I don't know. This, this whole chapter is really, there's a lot 
going on in this chapter that we can all relate to in this moment. And what we're all going through right now is really revealing those that have crept in unnoticed because their reactions to what we're dealing with or their, um, their surrender to their flesh in those moments of anxiety or in those moments where pride kicks in or where they don't want to uh, humble themselves, in those moments you're going to see the flesh rise up. You're going to see, um, and we, we're all kind of seeing that manifest right now, especially, and I don't know if you guys have been aware, but this congregation has been under attack um, the last couple of weeks. Um, so we're seeing it firsthand. Um, these people that have been here for several weeks seem harmless and you know, they know a lot about us, they know who we are, and they come in and they try to divide. They react and they try to divide. So we need to be aware of those. Um, he says here, um, ungodly men turning the grace of God. This, uh, this is King James. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That, that word was like, caught me by, by surprise um, and denying the only Lord God um, and our Lord Jesus Christ. That word caught me by surprise. And if you look in Strong's, the word there is aselgia, uh, aselgia, and it's like selgia with a prefix or a negative participle a. And in the, in, the, in the Greek language, they do the same thing that we do in the English language where you put an A in front of a word and it means not something, right? It's the opposite of something. And they do the same thing, so in Greek. So I thought that was really interesting. So, selgia means continent or um, another word for that is um, holding together or re restraining oneself um, is the meaning of, of the word continent. So it's a continent, not restraining yourself. Uh, not holding together, not restraining oneself. So I thought it's strange that some versions say uh, very, have a very sexual connotation to this translation, and some are more, m more of a general, you know, unrestrained nature. And I, I feel like it's more of an of overall unrestrained in this moment because um, it, it's not really, it's more of a general statement um, so, and it also talks about how they allow God's grace, or they say God's grace allows them to live these immoral lives. And we hear that time and time again in Scripture, that they're warning people, don't, you know, they're, don't abuse the grace of God. Uh, abusing the grace of God is like letting your lamp run out. You know, once it runs out, you got to go refill it, and if you're gone, 
you're not going to make it back in that door. So you're setting yourself up if you try abusing the grace. Paul warns about it um, multiple times. So it's something that we really need to pay attention to. Um, are we abusing God's grace? And they, con- they mention Christ here the, in the New Messianic um, Bible, they use the name for God here as kurios, the Father, or he whom a person belongs, kurios, God. So this is, uh, this is an, we were talking in the last couple weeks with Ruth, and the different facets of God and how the Hebrew scriptures would use different names for him to reveal different facets of God. And here we see Kurios, God the Father, and then also Yeshua, God of salvation. So, We can go ahead and move on to, um, I guess, 8 through 13. All right, and I just want to say that, so remember, chapter, or verse 3, he's talking about how he's going to, he's urging them to contend for the faith. So, that's kind of what we're fixing to go into. He's describing in the past, because these were Jewish, very, I mean, these were, they knew the word. They knew the history. They knew everything. So then he's describing what's happened in the past through certain behaviors. So this is all leading into where we're going. And remember, why, the very first thing he said was, I'm going to urge you to contend for your faith. So this is so you don't go down that slippery road, so that you do not get caught up in the trap, so that you do not get caught up in the whirlwind of these false teachers and these false prophets and these people that are coming to separate. They are coming to buck up against the authority, to cause division, to cause all kinds of chaos. So he's saying, get ready to contend for your faith because this is what's happened in the past, and we don't want that to happen to you, so get ready. So that's kind of, that's where we're at. So, all right, so verse 8. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. Let's just take that apart right there. Yeah, thank you. So... He's describing the people that there that have infiltrated the church that they need to be mindful of, and they're claiming authority in their dreams, but they live immoral lives. So, you might find in a congregation people who are very vocal about their dream life or about their prophetic abilities, but you don't know them at home. You don't see them outside of church. You see them in church. You see them at church functions but you've never, you've never had lunch with them. 
or you have no idea anything about their family history, or, th or they're very secluded in their personal space. And I think that's why it's so important for us to fellowship. We talked about fellowship last week, about building a solid foundation, about how we use um, cement wire in building foundations now, and that cement wire is like a network. And that network in the body is fellowship. Go ahead. So if you don't have information into their personal life, how can you really trust what they're sharing or that their dreams are accurate? You have to test it. You have to test it against Scripture. You have to test it in prayer. Holy Spirit will reveal to you, which Holy Spirit has revealed a lot to us through Scripture. And we always need to pray that we, Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and knowledge so we can discern these things. So it, it, these immoral lives are hidden a lot of times. We don't have um, knowledge of people's personal lives or what they're doing in, in their secret place. So it's, it's, it shows up, though. They defy authority. We see a lot of that right now. People are defying authority, claiming that they, their faith allows them to defy authority. This scripture right here just says these people claim authority in their dreams and they defy authority. These are people that he's warning them against. He's warning them about these people who have crept in and are defying authority. How many people do we know right now that are defying authority or have the spirit of defiance in them because they're claiming f some stance of faith saying that it's okay for them to defy this authority? But if you read this book, if you look back through all these scriptures, it doesn't say to defy authority. It says to honor authority. It says to pray for those that are in government. It says to honor them. You can disagree with someone and still honor them. It says to submit as well. Submit. Submit's a big part. Submission brings, is, is kind of like humility. You have to humble yourself to submit to someone. And I feel like what Holy Spirit is telling me is that there's a struggle in that submission, in that humility, because you naturally want to be prideful. Your flesh wants to overcome. Your flesh wants you to, you to win, you to be on top. But the Spirit wants you to be humble. The Spirit wants you to be a servant. So we need to be, be able to humble ourselves and to be able to grasp that humility and honor those in authority. I'm going to read a scripture that backs up what he just said. So 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Which, the reason Christ spoke in parables so often is because he was trying to convey things that our language or his language or earthly knowledge cannot convey. So you have to convey it in other ways. And that's, I believe, why he spoke in parables so often is because the things of the Spirit 
there isn't necessarily language that we can use to describe it. We have to rely on Holy Spirit. We have to rely on these parables, these experiences that will relay to us information that the flesh cannot and will not understand. So it says they defy authority, they live immoral lives, and scoff at supernatural beings is what uh, the NLT says. Now, some versions, uh, some translations say evil spirits, um, some say evil beings, some say supernatural beings, some say angelic beings, insult angelic beings. So there was this, which, what is it? Is it good? Is it bad? What are, what are they talking about? So I dug in. This is another place where the Holy Spirit said dig in, and I'll tell you what it is. So here we see the words... where it says to scoff at, the word there is blasphemos, which we get blaspheme from, so it's to blaspheme. And then it says, um, doxa, blasphemos doxa. So those are the words they use to translate into scoff at supernatural beings. Now, doxa means many things. It's used, doxa is used 146 times in the Bible. And most of the time, it means grace. It's to blaspheme grace. Which we've already discovered, we already talked about how they say grace allows them to live immoral lives. But the one that really caught me that really was highlighted to me, the Holy Spirit highlighted was doxa also is used to mean honor. So like we were just discussing honoring authorities, they will blaspheme honor. So they'll twist honor and make it sound like you're enslaving yourself or you're serving man or you're They'll twist honor and make it sound like make it something evil. Um, so that's something that I think we're all kind of seeing come to light right now in the things that we're dealing with. People are struggling with honor. People are struggling with authority. Um, so these are these are similar things that there that Jude is talking about and warning uh, the congregation against. Um, I just also want to point out that if you go back to um, blasphemy, uh, grace, so the opposite of obedience is sin. And we're fixing to go into a bunch of examples of amazing sin. Just So I also feel that that's very important that Grace is not given to us to sin, but that's how the enemy is trying, has, that's how he's tricked this church, that the grace is to live a sinful lifestyle, but the grace is given to us to actually walk in obedience, to humble ourselves to authority, to honor the authorities over us. Um, so grace is actually for obedience. It is not for sin. So always remember, the enemy is always going to take what the Lord 
is doing, and he's going to twist it and turn it on its head. It's always the upside down. Um, so yeah. that's the that's the blaspheme. Yeah. Well, blaspheme blasphemio is the word, and it means defame, rail on, revile, speak evil. So to defame something is to really twist it around. Like if something is famous and you're defaming it, you're you know you're making it the opposite, or you're turning it turning it on its head. So. They're twisting grace. They're twisting honor. Yes. So let's go ahead and uh, read chapter or verse uh, nine. We'll start there. Let's see what happens. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, "The Lord rebuke you." And this took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. So right here he's referencing, this is another indicator that Jude is writing to a very um, knowledgeable congregation because he's quoting verses from an extra-biblical text. He's quoting from a book called The Testament of Moses, or some people call it The uh, Assumption of Moses. It's a book in Jewish tradition. Um, a lot of it's been lost, so it's kind of been pieced back together through oral traditions and other writings. But basically, there was a time when Satan was trying to claim Moses because Moses was a murderer. And Michael was performing the rituals, the, the whatever, the burial or the ceremonial thing. And, and he was like, he didn't, he didn't, he, him and Satan were like almost equals. Like, Michael was one of the highest angels, and Satan, you know, under God, they were about the same um, authority level in each, each one's kingdom. They, they, and Satan is archangel Michael's opposite. Right, in, in authority, according to um, rabbinical texts. So, even though he had a position where he could rebuke Satan... Or he could, um, what was the words that we found? But he didn't. He didn't even rebuke Satan. He didn't even scoff at Satan. He used the Lord's power, used the Lord's spirit, used the Lord's name, and used that as his weapon. So when we come against these arguments, these people, these powerful people, or even people that are our equals, when, when we have the authority to rebuke them, or, you know, here is a situation where Michael could have but chose to let the Lord deal with it. Yes. He knew the truth. He didn't need to defend the truth. Now, how many times in Scripture are people put into persecution where they don't defend themselves, they say, my God is bigger than this. 
how many how many times is that? I mean, I can think of um, the three in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not try to defend themselves. They were doing what was right. They knew they were doing what was right. And when they were questioned about it or when they were told, this is going to happen to you now, you're going to suffer for this, they could have pleaded their case. They could have said, well, you know, my faith is, this is my religion. You know, how can you? No. They said, you do what you do. My God is bigger than this. He will protect me. That is the faith that I want. I don't have to defend myself because my king is the defender. And Michael, he, as a, the most powerful angel, he even submits to the same, this same logic that my God will rebuke you. I don't need to. Jesus never defended himself either. No. No, he didn't. There are other occasions, uh, you know, where people let, were up against persecution and they said, my God is bigger than this. Fun little tidbit. Can we just acknowledge that Michael and Satan were having a dispute about Moses' body? <laughs> Can we just, like, think <laughs> about that for a second? And then you remember Moses and Elijah showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration? So we know who won. So we know who won, but they were having a dispute about Moses' body because Satan wanted his body back. And I'm thinking, and then it shows up on the map. What's going on up there? I want to be privy to that. So I just, that's another little rabbit trail you can ask Holy Spirit about. Because there's just, that's just awesome. Um, and there's some other little things that you can go down. Um, but just one of those. We've just begun to, there's so much in here. There's so much in here. <laughs> yes. And today, what is our battle? In the mind, the devil telling you one thing and God is saying another. And until you pull down that stronghold, you battles with it. Amen. So here we see the greatest of the good angels refuses. Doug? Yeah, Lisa and I were reading. Excuse <coughs> me. Lisa and I were reading a book called uh, the, Spirit, the Spirit of Elijah. And two nights ago, I think it was, we were reading uh, the section where it says that the devil, he tries to create fear in us, but we have to stand on the word of God, the truth. And I thought that was pretty powerful. I think that goes along with what we're talking about right here. It is. That's about found, being foundational. We talked about how to build our foundation. We had to have the word of God embedded in that foundation, tying all these load points together. All the, all the points in our lives that are bearing the most load, where the enemy is going to attack us most, all need to be tied together with the Word. And that will keep us standing strong in our faith. So, but here, we're just, this is really how to deal with other people it's that are being influenced by the enemy. It's not the enemy himself. How am I dealing with someone 
in the congregation that's being influenced. This is, this is real life, like, in the natural. How do we, how, how to recognize and deal with these people? So, here we have this example of Michael, and he, Michael wouldn't even, um, I had a quote here, and I've been looking for it, but I can't find it. I should have wrote it down. They do, and that's the trap you fall into. If you try to rebuke them, or you try to argue with them, or you, you, know, you try to reason with them, you fall into a trap. To argue with fools is folly. To argue with fools is folly. That's in the book. That is in the book. So if Michael, the, the, the strongest of angels, uh, refused to speak evil of the greatest of the evil angels, you know, and then, and then you see what these men are doing. He says, but these people scoff at things they don't even understand. So they're speaking evil Michael wouldn't even speak evil about the most evil angel, but these people are speaking evil about things that they don't even understand. This is things that are meaningless to them. They're, still, they're speaking evil about them. Maybe they're not meaningless, but they don't, they, don't, they don't know what it is or who it is or why it is. They don't know anything behind it, any background, but they choose to speak evil about it instead of letting the Lord rebuke it. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do what their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction. So they're submitting to the flesh. That's the instinct. Is the, is, is the, the, the flesh, is, is, is allow, they're allowing their flesh to dictate where they're going. And when we let the flesh drive us, we bring about our own destruction, or they brought about their own destruction. The flesh is not going to lead you into victory. So you have to deny that flesh for victory. So in NKJV, it says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things, they corrupt themselves. It's very important that you understand that they speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally. He's saying that there's, what they know naturally is evil when they speak it. Why? Because our mind is always at enmity with God. So that's very important because they have not submitted themselves. They're not beings in the spirit, which is what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. So these are people that have not submitted. Um, okay, holy, I need to make sure I don't. They may have once submitted themselves, but they are no longer submitting themselves. They are literally fixing to be compared to the spirit of Cain, the spirit of Korah. These are the spirit of Balaam. These are, these, are, these are really bad spirits 
So these are people that now everything that they're speaking of is going to be a war against everything God has spoken. Um, it's just important that you understand the depths of that in that scripture. So there's three, there's three main, I don't know, I know that there is some people don't have a voice inside of their head, and I think that's just weird. But I know that there's like scientific studies that say some people don't have a voice inside their head. But for most of us, there's a voice inside of our head, and there's actually three voices. There's going to be you, the voice of God, your own voice of your flesh, and, and the voice of the enemy. So you really have to tune in to which voice you're listening to, or you're going to be sidetracked. You're going to fall into the flesh, or you're going to fall into what the enemy has tricked you into. So really, these people at some point started listening to the voice in their flesh. Their own voice became the loudest. They lost, they lost the voice of God, who should be the loudest, and started listening to their own voice. That's where you get the sexual immorality, the... Because the, uh... that was the open door for the enemy to come in. As soon as they started listening to their flesh, as soon as they started partnering with sin, that was the open door for the enemy to come in. And so not only were they listening to that, but they were listening to the enemy. Because then they were partnering. They opened themselves up to all of those spirits. And, and then that's when you, you lose the ability to, to hold things together, to restrain yourself, because your flesh is unrestrained. So... Uh, let's go ahead and move on to 11. Okay, I'm going to keep reading in NKJV because I love how this reads in that better. It's more powerful. Um, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So, so they've gone, they've run, and they've perished. That is not good. So at first, we kind of approach this as three separate, three separate things here. You know, some were operating in the spirits of Cain, the spirits of Baal, the spirits of Korah. Um, so we started breaking this down. And in, in this, operating in the spirit of Cain, who killed his brother, this, this, so if you're operating in that spirit, what you're going to have is you're going to have an empty religion to start with because you're already comparing yourself with someone else. So your religion has no attachment to you personally or your, your faith, I should say. You don't have a personal relationship because you're comparing who you are with someone else when our relationship with Christ should be the one thing. So if you're operating in the spirit of Cain, that's your first mistake empty religion. And what that brings is jealousy. So because your religion is empty, because you don't have, you're not established in your own identity with Christ, you're going to open yourself up for jealousy. And jealousy is going to open you up even farther to a murderous anger. So once you become jealous of someone, the next step is going to be this murderous anger, and Cain did murder his um, brother because of his jealousy, because of his empty religion, because of his lack of relationship 
But here, he's actually saying they progressed through these spirits. They started with Cain, the spirit of Cain, where they were empty, their religion was empty, and they were jealous, and they were murderously angry, and then they took revenge. Like Baal, who was um, basically a false prophet for hire. And so Moab went to Baal and paid him to curse the Israelites. So he was taking money to cast curses on someone. So in this instance, we see someone who is following in the footsteps of Cain, who's jealous, angry, murderously angry. He's reaching out to someone, or somehow he's trying to um, sabotage or work against a fellow. So he's... And then from that, we see him move into the spirit of Korah, which Korah created a rebellion. You got 200. So, so these people are angry at their brothers. They're sabotaging them. And then they're rallying people behind them. They're creating this support system. Woe is me support system. And that's how many times have we seen that happen? where someone gets hurt, someone gets damaged because of offense of some kind. They try, you know, then, and then you have this feud going on where they're sabotaging each other, and then they're trying to get people to take sides. This is something that the, that the church body is familiar with, very familiar with. Um, so it's not something that... On small scales and on large scales. Um, Go ahead. So... There's, uh, she has a lot more to add. Um, so, yeah. Um, and it's not like these people set out to be under these spirits. It started with one. It started with partnering. It started with thinking in their flesh. And then the enemy came in and they started partnering with that. It started... Um, it's just one step in front of the other. And I was really asking the Lord, you know, what did Daniel and I, why, why are we teaching this? There's so many better things out there. Um, and there's something that he, there's a couple things that he wants us to share. Um, we've seen this firsthand. And like I said, it, you can see it on small scales and you can see it on large scales. You can see the national scandals on a large scale. And we are seeing a lot of this happen right now on a very large scale in certain areas. I mean, um, but at home here, the Lord brought us here four years and three months ago. And we've seen Global River go through some stuffs in four years and we watched this these three spirits operate um a few they were all operating all at once and also through a few different times and we've seen what happens when people are operating in these spirits and the division comes in and i feel very honored and privileged that the lord kept daniel and i apart 
because we had been hurt from our previous church in Alaska to a point where we said we are never putting our faith in a man ever again. Our faith is 100% in you, and we will follow you. And he brought, and when we said, Lord, we will move anywhere, we would have moved to Timbuktu, we would have moved to China. We said, we won't, we'll go anywhere, but we're looking for you. And he brought us here. So we knew that we were here. In the midst here. of a rebellion. And, the midst, and then we saw, it was literally like two months after we got here, we saw all this stuff go down. And just by me following the Spirit, people that were a part of the division came up to us to try to pull us in. And just following the Holy Spirit, I said, nope, that is between you and the Lord. I don't want to have any part of it. And I walked away. And we had to walk away from many, many, many people. And even because that spirit was operating here, we even had people come up to us here like, hey, you know, are we okay? Are we okay? And I'm like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Yes, we're okay. Just being in that environment, you have to check yourself. Um, and then the Lord made us pull away from quite a few people we weren't able to associate with because they refused to humble themselves, repent, and get right with God. And to this day, I will see them in other churches. I will see their, them in other... And you can still see that spirit operating on them because they're very angry and they're very bitter because the only way to be free of this is true repentance, which comes from your heart. So we saw a bunch of this go down, and the only way that Daniel and I stayed completely out of it, and we were, we weren't naive to it, we just made, we contended for our faith to not get pulled into that garbage, because I'll be darned, I was not going to come here and try to get run out by that. And I didn't even understand that all of this was going on. He's revealed all of this as we, as we went. Um, so you have to contend for your space, and you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. You have to stay on the Father. You have to stay on the Holy Spirit, and you have to stay connected to strong, wise individuals in the kingdom. You cannot be associating with people that are behaving like this and expect to be and you have contending to stay for humble. your faith. And you have to stay humble. Humility, That's I think, is the key through all yeah. three of these different spirits operating here. If at any point in this succession you chose to humble yourself, you could be saved out of it. Cain could have been saved out of his, out of his murderous rage if he humbled himself in front of his brother. His brother was younger than him. His brother was faster than him, whatever. He was the, you know, he was the cat's meow, but he felt like he was the older brother. He should have the right, and he didn't humble himself. He had the opportunity. Baal, he was approached by God himself, and God spoke to him and said, don't do this. And he could have humbled himself and said, I won't do this. The Lord is, you know, he's requesting this of me, but he didn't. He refused to humble himself. And Korah, Korah is like the apex of this whole process once you become, when you get to that point and you've rallied people behind you and now you've got this re revolt coming, he, God still gave them an opportunity to humble themselves. He sent Moses out and said, you know, turn, don't come here, leave here, don't be here because God's going to smote everyone here. 
And they, he gave them ample opportunity to turn away, humble themselves and turn away. And they chose not to. They, there are many opportunities through this whole procession where you could humble yourself. And that's what the hardest part, I think, about what we're going through right now is that people are refusing to humble themselves because they feel, I know that's one of my main struggles was humility. I wanted to be right. I wanted to be the one to make made the right decisions. I wanted to claim the responsibility. I wanted to fix my wife. I wanted to fix everything. And I had to humble myself. I'm the only wife in any marriage who was never right. In 15 years, I can count on one hand how many times I've been right. She makes it hard for me to humble myself. <laughs> but the key to it was humility, and it hurts. I, I, I feel humility when the Lord's calling me to humble myself. I feel it physically in pain. Well, there's a lot of things in my flesh that I feel certain parts of my body physically ache when I know I have to submit to something. A humility is right here. I get sore. I get really sore right here in these, these, these muscles right here. It's it's really it's weird. weird. <laughs> but I feel it. I was like, oh, this is. Uh, I have to just. I have to just submit. So I know that that feeling of submission is painful to some other people, and they are refusing to to allow that flesh to die. So when you see people who are defying authority, it's because they don't want to humble themselves. When you see people that are living immoral lives, it's because they don't want to accept that there is something higher than themselves, that there is accountability. They don't want to accept that accountability. They don't want to humble themselves before God. That's why you see people living immoral lives. That's why you see people defying authority. When you scoff at honor because you don't want to humble yourself because you feel you're right or because the person you're told to honor because you, there's some rule in place that you, you're, you're losing control and you don't have control in that situation, you don't want to humble yourself, so you scoff at honor. Yeah, um... And again, we can only give what we've received and what we're experiencing, what we're walking out. And the Lord's asked me to be really, just really open and honest about a few things because I think that's part of what's missing in the modern church today is that submission to authority. Um, we've been hearing just some really interesting things. Um, you know, I'm just going to be really open right now. Like the church, we have to submit to our governing authorities to stay under the protection of the Lord, to stay in obedience to the Lord. We have to submit because it's he's told us to. So as our church is submitting to that, we've had people that are refusing and they're blaming us for partnering with the spirit of fear because we're submitting to our governing authorities. That's all of these spirits bucking up inside of those people. No one um, is asking you to do anything that's stopping you from doing anything in this book. Yeah. No one is asking you to do anything. S listen to that. No one is asking you to do anything that's stopping you from doing anything in this book. And by honoring the authorities, we're able to congregate and have church. It's kind of awesome. Um, 
and it doesn't matter if you agree with it or not. It has, in fact, to me, submission doesn't happen until you disagree with your authorities. That's when true humility and submission happens, is when you actually disagree with what they're asking you to do. And that is when you will have that check in your spirit. That's when you will know. And then you have a choice to make. Jim? No. It is not. Mr. Jim Parker back there is asking me to repeat this, and I'm going to. It is not until you disagree with the authorities that you truly understand submission and humility. It is not until a disagreement happens and you're able to humble yourselves and submit to the authorities, which is submitting to your pastors, submitting to your teachers, your, your boss, whatever it is, because ultimately you are, are governing authorities because then you are submitting to the Lord your God because those are the governing authorities in your life, and he has called us to submit to each one of those. And it's not until you disagree that you're truly experiencing humility and submission on a spiritual level that he's asking us to do. Or on any level, really, because if you, disagree, if you don't disagree, then you're, you're not losing anything. If you don't disagree, you, there's no th nothing to submit to. If you don't disagree, there's nothing to... It's just all rainbows and butterflies. La, 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 la. There's nothing to humble yourself against. No. Those, that's the only time in that disagreement that those are actually applicable. And it's funny that he's got me sharing this because that has been the biggest area of my life. Um, I have... I'm still in the process of being killed at every second in the area of rebellion. Um, I've been a rebellious little turd since I came out of the womb, honestly, and uh, it's, it's been the biggest sin in my life that I have had to submit. And seeing what happened, um, and I was very, very well aware of this, and it's happened over these four years, and it's not until you get to a place of leadership that you really experience submission in a level that you just won't experience until you get to that. So when you are called into an area of leadership and then you have to submit to those leaders above you. And Pastor Tom, I love you, I bless you, and I'm so grateful you're not here tonight because the Holy Spirit just really want me to be super transparent tonight. So with these spirits, it, it, to me, it starts with one thought. It starts with one thought that you can either hold captive or not. And it's, and it's either submitting yourself to God going, I know this is a root. I know that this is trying to take, you know, hold in me. Or I thought it was all out and it's not. And I'm submitting it to you. I need this to die. And so I need you to do what you need to do so that this will be killed out of me. And that was what I encountered with authority um, and with submission. So there was a situation that came up, and I disagreed with the authority of this house. And I'm not going to go into specifics, and it wasn't anything that I voiced, but I went home, and I was mm, I don't agree with that. That's not right. And was like, Lord, you need to change their heart. And that's never a good prayer, because it's not the Father's heart. It's your own fleshly desires. And I kind of stewed on it a little bit. And, and but I, you know, I, my heart was not right because just by partnering with that one little thing, it started stewing. 
And for about two months, I was really struggling with that authority. And I, you know, I could, I could hear it come out as it grew. So he would say something, and I could hear this snappiness that would come out in my voice that was not there before. And I hated it when it came out because it scared me because I knew what was going on. And again, I thought that the rebellion was gone, but it was there. And so here, I'm, so then I was just on my living room floor. Oh my gosh, you have to take this out of me. I can't have this in, and I'm I'm repenting. And then as soon as I would see them, and you know, then something else would come up because then what you're starting to see is you're starting to see them through this skewed lens. So then the enemy's starting to tell you things that aren't true. So then all of a sudden, this gets blown out of proportion, and you're seeing it through a distorted lens. Um, and then your spirit starts to buck up. And we were having um, a really intimate time with some beautiful people that we do life with that um, know me inside and out. And I shared because I wanted us to pray for the church. And as soon as I shared my frustration, because I thought I would just vent, because I haven't really vented to anybody but him, oh boy, did I get checked in my spirit. And I felt the Lord go, what did you just do? You were complaining and you were grumbling. I'd actually been grumbling for a few months, and then it came out in a vocal complaint. And I immediately, um, that night and the next morning, I called each one of them, and I apologized, I repented, and I asked for forgiveness. And they were so grateful because they had repented on the way home for not saying anything. And I immediately knew, okay, no, that cannot happen. And so... It was like a, I don't know what happened, but from something in me shifted, and it was just, wait a minute. I just complained in a vocal way that was so dishonoring to my house, that was so dishonoring to my leadership, and I truly fell on my face and rep repented, and he just pulled the rest of that out. And I was able to see the leadership through the lens of the Father, and I want to honor them, especially when I don't agree with them, so that the Lord can use us the way that he wants to use us. But that's an example of something that you can either It's truly, so easy to slip into yes, that. Yes, it's very, Just very, that very one easy. thought that kept growing. And then she finds herself telling others, not, I mean, maybe consciously, maybe subconsciously, but wanting them to side with her. I That's had, really what yeah. what you're seeking when yeah. you when you're sharing this when you're pain, grumbling you're like, and complaining. When you're grumbling and playing, you're trying to get a validation. Yeah. And that's where the spirit of Korah comes in. Yes. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, no, the grumbling is that internal dialogue going on. That's the grumbling. You're chewing on it. You're stewing on it. You're partnering with those lies of the enemy and the complaining as the vocal point. I feel like that's really important for us to understand that. Well, these people here, these are grumblers and complainers. We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah, we need to move on to this. Uh, let's see. Oh, but no, I do want to say this. And yeah. since that happened, like amazing things, leader, then we got, one, we're up here doing this. This never would have happened had I not gone through that and submitted myself and gone through the, the yeah, allowing myself to be killed in that way. So just want to encourage you that the Lord blesses you so much on the other side of that. Yeah, Amen. Let's verse go, 12? Uh, yeah, verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, 
and pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's good. So, why don't you stay up here? You're going to talk anyways. So these people are, are um, that the he's warning them against, um, they were partaking in the, the love feast or in the communion um, with the believers. And he calls them like dangerous reefs. They shipwreck you. Um, so a reef is something under the surface that you don't see until it's too late. But they're operating in this atmosphere where you're supposed to be commemorating the Lord. You're supposed to be fellowshipping with one another. You're supposed to be, you know, the Lord's moving in those moments. We experience that regularly. We fellowship at the house uh, at weekly, and we call, we we worship, we pray. We a lot of times we take communion, and in those moments, where, I mean, we're we're expecting the presence of the Lord to be there, and He comes and He floods that house. But in that flood. If we had someone in that house that was not like-minded, that was not after the presence of the Lord, we're gonna, it's going to cause an accident. It's going to cause a major... I think we have actually experienced that. We've um, had a few. We've had a couple Woo! moments near, in our near living misses room. where we almost shipwrecked an entire group of people because one individual was seeking to divert attention seeking to claim attention for themselves, operating in the spirit of Korah, trying to gain people's approval of their complaints. And, and it happened so fast. It was like, oh, woe is me. Everyone feeling sorry for me, pulling on my heartstrings. And then we start seeing, okay, where is this going? Because it starts manipulating people's responses now. Now they're not responding out of the spirit. They're responding out of the flesh. Now people are responding out of their own experiences of the world, out of sympathy. sympathy. And all of a sudden, you're about to hit this reef. Praise the Lord. Holy Spirit says, whoa. And and we were able to change course. And then there was a manifestation. I was going to say, oh, and it got so ugly, it's good. Yeah, because we changed course. We said we rebuked that. And this person... To this day, lost they still it. snarl when they see us. So we're doing good. <laughs> they lost it. But it was, an, it was an experience where we had that person with us, and they were that reef. And we almost shipwrecked. But you have to be mindful. Where is this going? Where is, what are these, this person's intentions? You have to be careful. So since then, we've been a little more careful about who is involved in those, in those intimate moments where we're, uh, we, all we're focusing on is the presence of the Lord. So you just have to be mindful of it. And also because we pray and seek for wisdom and discernment. We pray and seek for godly wisdom and discernment. And that's when your Holy Spirit alarm will go off, when you pray and you seek those things. Um, So you have to practice that and you have to seek those. So a shameless shepherd who only cares for themselves, they wear the same clothes as a shepherd. They got the same stick. They got sheep around them. You know, how how can you? But their sheep, they all they only care for themselves. So their sheep are are f- f- frolicking off. 
you know, their flock is, is dwindling, or the wolves are getting to their, to their sheep, or, or they're, they're dying of sickness, or, you know, it's the flock that's going to tell you if this person who's claiming to be a shepherd is in it for himself, or is he in it for his flock? And the clouds, um, the clouds, go ahead. I was just going to say, if he's in it for, that's, so I just want to encourage you guys all to go um, and watch Michael Thornton's breakdown of the book of Jude. It's amazing. And he dives into a little bit of what he calls that the celebrity spirit, about how they're really just in it for what their flock can give them. And I just want to encourage you to please listen to it. It's amazing. Just a little side note there. It's not, yeah, so go to, um, it's a podcast called Coach and Joe, and he's got a three-part on Jude, and it's so good. It was just a few weeks ago, too, or yeah. a couple months ago. A couple months ago, yeah. It's really good. I think pre-COVID, so. Um, so here, and he also, and he goes on, and he says, like, clouds blowing over the land without giving rain, so, um, I mean... That's pretty self-explanatory. You see clouds, you hope for rain, and it doesn't come. So that's kind of like, you know, you see it in their fruits, right? There's, they, they look like they're going to give you fruit, but they never do. Uh, the dead trees, another uh, reference of fruit and the roots being pulled out. The ones that really caught my attention here were the waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds and the stars wandering. So the waves, I'm sure we, this is a beach community. We love being at the beach. We love this, hearing the crashing waves, seeing the crashing waves. Every once in a while, the beach is covered in a nasty foam. And nobody likes it. Same waves, same ocean. But there's something, some impurity in the waves, some impurity that got into the surf that's being pushed onto the shore. It's being worked out of the sea and it's being spread on this beautiful beach. So that, that was kind of something that I, 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 for some reason, really stuck, stuck to me, like it's shameful deeds that are going to taint that goodness that we're all experiencing. And the raging waves of the sea, if you go to Isaiah 57:20, for us modern people, the sea is often a thing of beauty. But in ancient man, especially in biblical culture, the sea was an unimaginable terror. And if you think back to all of the Bible stories on the sea, they're a little freaky. So, um, and if you go to Isaiah 57, 20, it says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So these certain men were busy and active like the raging waves of the sea, but all it brought about was foaming up their own shame. I just thought that was really beautiful. Amen. And then the wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. This one, this one, I really, I really appreciated this analogy because the universe is so huge. I mean, it's, it's unimaginably huge, and everything is so unimaginably far apart, right? So we're in a system. And our system is captured, right? So it's always relative. We have light. We have other bodies that we regularly see. 
so he's liking this to a star, which stars give off light. They are light, but if there's nothing around you to reflect it, you will never see it. All you will see is even though you're producing light, you'll never see light. You'll always see darkness if there's nothing else to shine it on. So if this star is, is aimlessly flying through space, it will never see the brilliance of light because there's so much space between everything that it, the chances are it will never run into anything. So I think that that, that analogy is, you know, it's, he's, it's so hot, it's so big, it's so bright, it's shining, but there's nothing to reflect it that it's pointless. The other possibility of that is that it's, it's kind of a parable for hell, that if they don't repent, the blackest of darkness is hell. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and finish this up, 14 to 16. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These grumblers, these complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So here he quotes another uh, book of, that's not in the Bible, the, the uh, book of Enoch, the first book of Enoch. And he uses this prophecy. And what teaching or what warning isn't the best when accompanied by prophecy? There's always a prophecy. And it's the purpose for prophecy, really, is to confirm things in the future. That this is that God is glory, to glorify God. So when prophecy is given, it's not true prophecy is given. They, they don't sit around trying to decipher it. It's not till after it happens that God is glorified because it came true. Right? So prophecy is a tool specifically used to glorify God, like everything. Everything is purpose is to glorify God. The, the stars in the heavens are to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. He gives us Holy Spirit so that he can be glorified. He gives us, he empowers us, he puts us in leadership to glorify him. Everything we do, is to, it's not to glorify me, it's not to glorify her. We're not up here to glorify ourselves, we're up here to glorify God. Everything is to glorify God. Prophecy is also to glorify God. It is not for us to try to tell the future. It's for us to recognize God's glory. So we need to be careful about the use of prophecy. Um, but then he goes on and he says that these people are the grumblers and complainers. Grumblers and complainers is, is no, that's good. <laughs> 
thought you had something to say about grumbling and complaining. God, I said enough already. <laughs> the grump, but it really is. It's just okay. So look, hold we, on. No, let me let me say this. Let me say this, because we're in the South, so I think that this needs to be said too. These are grumblers and complainers walking according to their own lusts. Think of this as also gossip. Gossip. That is one of the most unchecked sins of the church today, and especially this southern hemisphere. Um, gossip, and it's, and I hear it, I hear it from people, and it surprises me who I hear it from. It surprises me who I hear gossip come from. Um, so I just, just so this is speaking to anybody who hears this, just check yourself with the gossip, because What's happening is you're actually grumbling on the inside, and your gossip is the vocal partnership with the internal grumbling. Um, and so you just need to submit that to the Lord and just ask him to remove it and to speak life over anyone and everyone. So. And what I'm reminded of that. here in this last verse, grumbling and complaining, is we just experienced this. Someone sitting outside, outside the church waiting for passersby can you believe them? I can't believe, you know, I have. That's crumbling and complaining. That's what it is. <laughs> no, I'm not picking on South. She's picking on South. I'm talking about actual events here that we're dealing hey, with. <laughs> half my daddy and all of his family is from Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. I'm half Southern. I can say that. I might have been born and raised in Alaska, but I got Southern blood. <laughs> <laughs> All right, her roots are in the South. We'll give, her, we'll give her that. So be careful. If you find yourself grumbling and complaining, what's next? Is it the spirit of Cain? Is it the spirit of Baal or Korah? You know, it's a slippery slope. It happens fast. But these, this very small book is like a mirror into, you know, what is going on right now. There are, these people are in this congregation. They are in every congregation. And they are representing ideas that sound plausible. I think it's in Philippians. He warns against plausible arguments. Yes. Yes. You know? Don't, don't fall. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's true. Holy Spirit will show you what's true. And it's not going to line up with what the flesh says is true, what the natural says is true. And I think a lot of, um, I, I feel like I'm supposed to share this too. You know, Daniel and I, we've received a lot of persecution just by staying true to this word and by staying true to what Holy Spirit's leading us and guiding us. And we're not liked by a lot of people because of that. Um, and, you know, I was talking with the Lord about that. And I feel like in this is just for America and where we're at right now, but a lot of our persecution is actually going to come from our church. The body. Most of our persecution is going to come from that. And the reason why I say that is because all of the street evangelism that we do and all of the mission trips that we've been on, I haven't received any persecution outside under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But inside these walls, lots. So we have to be ready 
to be strong and mighty in our foundation of the Lord so that when that persecution comes, it doesn't lead us astray. Like, we don't want... It, it doesn't matter how many friends too. you have. It it's doesn't gonna matter. Be, it's going to be unexpected. If yeah. you're out in the world and you're prepared for battle, you're going to have your, you know, you're going to have your stance. You're going to be ready. But if you're at home and you're comfortable and you're standing there, you know, you're not going to expect it. So that's when your foundation really comes into play. Yeah. So next week we're going to talk about... Um, yeah, next week we're going to talk about prophecy and how it uh, encourages the body, and uh, we'll finish the letters of Jude. Thank you all. If anybody has any more questions or comments, Miss Addie? I was too. And let me tell you what the Holy Ghost told me. He says, Addie, it happened to me first. So always remember, what happened to you happened to him first. And you'll be able to go through it better. It hurt, mm -hmm. but you'll be able to Amen. love him still. Amen. That's so good, Mama Addie. Thank you. Yes, the love. That is, that's the biggest. I think once you submit and you honor those authorities, and then it is the, okay, I don't want to just submit and honor them, but I want to love them the way that the Father does. I want to love all of those that have persecuted us and that are still walking in these spirits because I can only imagine what a prison that is. And so we need to love them and pray for them. In fact, I got checked earlier when I said that that one still manifests whenever we see her. And I said, we're doing good. And I felt like the Lord said, this, she's not doing good, though. So um, I got checked there. So you're just constantly getting checked. We have to, it is, it is every single day, every hour. We just constantly have to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and submitted to God. And he's going to do that mighty work in us. Yes. So Lord, right now we just submit to your will. We submit to your word and we submit to your way. We humble ourselves before you and before those of authority and even before those that have no authority over us, we humble ourselves as servants to them, to those around us. We lead from a servant's position, Lord, as you said. So we just say, seal up whatever you were working tonight. We thank you for your word. And we just thank you for this time uh, of fellowship and discipleship and of teaching. And we just pray that, uh, you know, you prepare something for us next week that will really, uh, really uh, encourage and uplift us. And I just pray a blessing over everybody in this house that is giving us the encouragement, support, grace, and mercy to be up here um, with whatever the Lord's doing with us, because this is out of radical obedience, submission, um, and humility. So, But it means a lot to have the encouragement of our brothers and our sisters here in this room. So we love you, and we thank you. And so, Lord, I just pray a blessing over everybody here tonight, and that their time that they... Um, sacrificed, um, be returned to them tenfold in Jesus' name.